Welcome to the Inside the Boards podcast, our study smarter channel. I'm Patrick Beeman, your host. Okay, I just had to throw this one in there. This is Mark McKenna, kind of a YouTube sensation from a few years back for this cover of Alanis Morissette's Thank You. The fam and I have been kind of rocking Alanis Morissette a lot lately. I don't know why. Um, and, you know, it's kind of hard to secure music permissions from a big music group uh, like Alanis's label. So this is a good uh, alternative. Plus, it mentions antibiotics at the beginning. So, you know, highly relevant to our audience. At any rate, click the link in the show notes if you'd like to hear this full track, which I think is, you know, pretty good. Today, it's part one of our pulmonary review for the Study Smarter series. But before we get into that, I just wanted to give a shout out to our sponsor, Common Bond. We partner with Common Bond, a company that helps medical students save money on their student loans. Not only have they helped thousands of healthcare professionals through refinancing, but they have also customized a loan for current medical students with rates that beat the federal Grad Plus loan. Forget everything you thought you knew about private loans. Common Bond has best-in-class protections and flexible repayment plans designed with med students' unique career paths in mind. Doing a residency, research, or fellowship after school? You can pay as little as $100 per month during that time. Need to press pause on payments? A Common Bond loan comes with 12 months of forbearance for financial hardship. It also comes with full death and disability forgiveness. Common Bond, the new way to pay for medical school. ITB listeners also get a $300 bonus when they sign up. Get started today at commonbond.co slash ITB. That's commonbond.co slash ITB. And now, let's get into today's show. So welcome to the Inside the Board Study Smarter Series podcast. I'm here today with Matt Eisenstadt. He is a emergency resident. He's emergency medicine resident who's going to be actually finishing at the end of the coming month. So congratulations on that. That's awesome. Uh, and then we'll be moving out for bigger and better things, right? Yeah. Thanks. Uh, starting fellowship pretty soon. That'll be a another hurdle to jump through, right? Yeah. Uh, so he is with med school tutors and he is here today to talk with me about pulmonology for step one, which is, we both agree, a very difficult and nebulous topic that we're not always finding ourselves utilizing the way you would think you do in medical school. 
Uh, so let's get into it here. So I'll start uh, like Patrick and I have been doing. We're going to read the answer choice or the, the actual question first, and then we'll get in with the, the vignette, and then we'll talk about the answers. So for this qu first question, which of the following has the patient had significant exposure? So the vignette here is a 47-year-old man comes to the clinic today. He has achieved complaint of progressive difficulty breathing and shortness of breath. His social history reveals an occupation that clues the attending physician into ordering PFTs on the patient. The FEV1 to FEC ratio comes back at 90% with a significant redu significantly reduced FVC. This points to a restrictive lung disease, and endoscopy with biopsy confirms the diagnosis. The physician counsels the patient that his condition puts him at increased risk for infection by tuberculosis. So again, which of the following has this patient had significant exposure? Is it A, asbestos, B, beryllium, C, coal, or D, silica? All right, Matt, how would you kind of approach this question? Um, I, I really like the, uh, the style of going through the, uh, the final question first and then going through the vignette before you go over the answers. So that's how I generally will teach students to, to try to tackle these questions. Um, this is a uh, question about a pneumoconiosis, and you can uh, pretty much bet that uh, any question on this is going to have these four answer choices in front of you, and there's really not a whole lot of variation on how they uh, ask this question. Um, the, the big thing, this is a buzzword heavy uh, kind of question in that you either have to get a buzzword from their occupation or uh, some other little ancillary fact that helps clue you in to this. So um, these, these patients uh, all kind of look the same in terms of symptoms and they're all going to have uh, pulmonary function testing that is consistent with restrictive lung disease. So they'll come into the clinic, they say they have a dry cough, maybe some hypoxia, maybe some weight loss. Um, chest x-ray can be helpful, but it's not super specific. And so um, basically anytime you get this question, you're either going to get the person's occupation um, or you're going to get some other factoid like they do in this one, which is kind of a a newer play on the question uh, in terms of risk factors for other diseases. Yeah, I think this one kind of turned it around here. Uh, so this is asking, uh, you know, basically, you know, it's a pneumoconiosis, you know, they have a restricted pattern. And then the really the, the hinge here is that there's an increased risk for TB. Uh, for me, when I I think about that, like you, this is a, a really factoid based question. Uh, so you have to know one of these causes TB to be at a higher risk for the patient. Sure. Uh, and usually we think of things that are going to be causing cavitary lesions or something to occur where there's probably some space occupying mass or place for uh, an infection to take hold, right? Oh, and that's why the answer for this one is going to be D, silica. Like you said, all the different answers are going to be causes for a pneumoconiosis. Um, 
but silica really builds up in the lungs and can be a, a, a nidus for this tuberculosis infection. There are a couple of other buzzwords for it. So you think of for pneumoconiosis with silica, you think it occurs more so in the upper area, upper lung fields. Uh, there is this characteristic eggshell calcifications uh, in the hilar lymph nodes. And usually, you know, a lot of these questions won't, will be like, you know, this patient is a sandblaster by occupation, or they do work brushing metal or something like that. And they'll ask you, you know, what, what compound are they being exposed to? Mm-hmm. Um, that would be like another way they, they might go about asking this question. I think all the pneumoconioses increase the risk for cancer and as well as um, core pulmonale. Uh, some other kind of important buzzwords or associations to make are asbestos, which can cause a pneumoconiosis, uh, more likely can call also cause uh, bronchogenic con- carcinoma, so lung cancer. And then the classic question that you might see is an asbestos patient, and that you know you're there. They might say, "What are they most likely to develop?" And they'll put two answers there'll be lung cancer and then there'll be mesothelioma uh and, and the answer there is lung cancer um depending on how they ask that question the the mesothelioma while it's more likely and you see the ads on tv or whatever lung cancer is still like the most common thing that they're going to get from their pneumoconiosis yeah the uh you always see those late night lawyer TV ads for mesothelioma. And I think a lot of that comes down to the uh, association with smoking and personal responsibility in, uh, uh, in terms of risk for bronchogenic carcinoma versus mesothelioma. So mesothelioma still has some association with smoking, but uh, only is, uh, has more association with asbestos exposure than does uh, bronchogenic carcinoma. There, yeah, you're always going to get um, asbestos is going to describe a usually a shipyard worker um, is the stereotypical patient. Um, beryllium is going to be someone working for NASA, working on these um, advanced electronics uh, is the the occupation associated with that. Obviously, coal is going to be a miner, and so uh, yeah, just. If if they're gonna give you a easy softball question, they'll usually throw in the um, the occupation right off the bat, and that's pretty easy points if you know those four distinctions. The only exactly. um, other thing to add, I think, is uh, asbestos is the only one that does have a tendency to involve the lower lobes because um, the particles are a little heavier. Uh, so the that's the the odd man out, and so that may be something that they pick on for a question. And the I, I keep seeing this. This is not something that I um, remember being emphasized when I was taking the test. But the Kaplan syndrome, uh, with association with uh, rheumatoid arthritis and uh, pneumoconiosis nodules, uh, seems to be a big buzzword in all the updates on the uh, the review materials. So I guess that's a uh, more uh, new association that folks are harping on a little more. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. It makes me think of, uh, I'm 
in a family medicine clinic and I'll see these patients with RA and they'll have, you know, a cough or something going on and I'll listen and I hear some interesting lung junk and I'm like, man, do I want to get a chest x-ray and look? <laughs> Uh, just because I, I was reading about that right, uh, yeah. syndrome and how it's kind of, like you said, it's in the review books now. Curious as to how common it actually is. But. Or how often it gets worked up, you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. And it's one of those things that you, you'll find that there are some of these diseases that just never get a workup when you get into the clinical side of medicine. Uh, you have to be really chasing things down to find that sort of thing. Um, one of the, uh, I'll, give a mnemonic from first aid because it kind of leads back to your asbestos comment. Uh, it says that asbestos is from the roof uh, where it's commonly found and it affects the base. So the lower lobes, whereas silica and coal are from the base or the earth and they commonly affect the roof. Okay. So the roof is the upper lobes or <laughs> in sure. this case. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. So kind of one of those things where it doesn't make sense because it's reverse. Yeah. Uh, use it if you like it. Ready to move on? Yeah, let's do it. Sure. All right. Would you want to take a stab at this or I can read it? Yeah, I got it. Um, so 21-year-old male presents to clinic with a dry cough and fatigue for four days. He denies uh, myalgias, nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea. Associated symptoms include headache. He denies recent sick contacts. He endorses subjective fevers and shortness of breath. His vitals exam and labs are within normal limits. His chest x-ray shows streaky infiltrates bilaterally. What is the most appropriate treatment for the patient? And so answer choices are oseltamivir, ceftriaxone, levofloxacin, or azithromycin. So for this question, you have a patient that you're presuming has pneumonia. Uh, they have a dry cough. They've had a bit of fatigue, maybe a little bit of fever. And then they have a chest x-ray showing that they have these streaky infiltrates. Uh, that is a description, I guess, of an atypical pneumonia mm -hmm. versus like a low bar pneumonia. So you can think of atypical pneumonias being more likely from atypical bacteria or uh, viral pneumonias can also cause an atypical pattern as well. Of course, you see the answer choices. So also Tamivir could be a viral pneumonia so that you could leave it, but they ha don't have any, they don't have any like myalgias. They do have a mild headache, but no other this like kind of uh, flu like picture. So I probably would remove that. I don't really re recommend giving ceftriaxone to many people for pneumonia that is atypical. Levofloxacin is more of a big gun as well. I guess you can give levofloxacin for something like a Legionella pneumonia, which they may have something like that would be like your atypical pattern with a uh, you know hyponatremia and diarrhea as well is usually the the pattern you see. But for standard, community-acquired, atypical pattern pneumonia, you're going to treat for with azithromycin. So you're looking here for something like a mycoplasma pneumonia. Yeah, I, I totally agree. So there's, there's a little bit of nuance to this question um, if you dig into it. 
the uh, certainly the uh, streaky infiltrates could be a, a viral pneumonia. Um, usually, uh, that is much more frequently in young kids. Um, you'll see that. Uh, the other thing, yeah, you're uh, so no no nausea, vomiting, myalgias, um, which are more typical of, of viral syndrome, especially the myalgias on a test question. Um, the one thing about oseltamivir or uh, trade name Tamiflu is that it all the data shows that it's pretty, um, in healthy patients who are otherwise okay to go home, pretty useless after about 48 hours. So you, we will generally not give it um, in a patient who's been having symptoms for four days. Um, so just another, you know, little <laughs> side reason why <laughs> another nail in that coffin <laughs> another nail in that coffin it's just uh yeah and um i won't get into all the sketchiness of the oseltamivir research but um it's not a drug that we give lightly you usually have to be pretty sick or coming into the hospital a bunch of risk factors um or very very young functionally immunocompromised to get that drug um, ceftriaxone is a great drug for a strep pneumo pneumonia, a typical low bar type pneumonia, um, and it is part of the uh, the first line combo for uh, someone coming in with a community acquired pneumonia, but generally more so for inpatient treatment. So ceftriaxone is only available in IV formulations and intramuscular formulations. So um, another thing you don't necessarily need to know, but uh, it, again, just plays into the idea that overall inappropriate treatment, even though you'll you'll frequently see that in pneumonia combinations as an inpatient. Levofloxacin or Levoquin is a um, is actually a really good outpatient pneumonia drug, but we save it for sick people. So Levofloxacin has more activity against gram negatives. It has MSSA coverage, um, theoretical sort of pseudomonal coverage. So Levoquin or Levofloxacin is a drug that probably was overused uh, years and years ago and is now starting to fall out of favor for a lot of different reasons. There's a lot of resistance, especially in urinary tract infections, to fluoroquinolones. So we're trying to save them for really serious infections. Uh, so the indications for using Levoquin are someone with comorbid disease. So someone who's older, um, say age greater than 65, someone who's got COPD or diabetes or is an alcoholic or an IV drug user, someone where you would be a little more worried about a a more a, like gram negative stuff, E. coli, Klebsiella pneumonias, MSSA pneumonias for like post flu. That would be the time to reach for le- levofloxacin. But otherwise, uh, try to save that one for the uh, as it like, like you said, it's kind of a big gun, and uh, this is seems to be a pretty wimpy quote unquote walking pneumonia. So yeah, yeah, Z pack and home. Exactly. And that's what that this is, is the, if you've, you've been in the, I don't know, student health and gotten your z pack that that's your azithromycin and that it gets handed out pretty frequently. Uh, maybe a little too frequently. I may not. 
if the the answer had if there was an answer that was I'm not going to do anything for a patient that's had this stuff going on for four days, that might be my answer. Yeah. Uh, but you know that's all debatable. Um, but the important things, I guess, azithromycin uh, people for step one are really interested in how drugs work. So. Uh, it's going to inhibit protein synthesis by binding the 50S sub- subunit of the ribosomes, right? Which I always forget that kind of thing. And you will too after you take step one, so get ready. But that that's probably the one thing that I'll, I'll contribute to that discussion. I'll, I'll pretend that I remembered that. I, I know you did. Deep yeah. in your heart, if you had a question on it, sure you probably would get it just by sheer reasoning right that's all i really had to say about that so i think we can move on i'm pretty comfortable yeah all right that'll do it for today we will be back with part two of our pulmonary review uh, on our next episode what do we have going on that you should know about number one go download our ios beta app and subscribe to our all audio qbank with a step two version powered by online meded and the step one version powered by Lecturio and Exam Circle. These are audio optimized questions to help you study on the go. If you want to get involved and engage us a little bit more, interact with the hosts of our podcasts and ask questions about how to study or how to approach questions, go to bit.ly slash ITB Slack. That's bit.ly slash ITB Slack. It's a community where we are going to be fielding your questions for the podcast, taking your feedback, comments, and incorporating them into our show and into our platform just so, you know, we can get to know you a little bit better. And then finally, go check out all of the other podcasts that we are adding to our network. Of course, the ITB main channel, Physiology by Physio, The Medical Nemonist, and our newest collaboration with Physio, USMLE's Step 1 Success Stories. As always, thank you for listening. If you're about to take Step 1, good luck, stay strong. It'll be over soon. And for those of you who already have taken Step 1, thank you for supporting us and listening We will be having even more third-year content coming your way in the upcoming months. Go tell your friends. We truly appreciate it.